While they're leaving, if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1. We're going to continue our, our study in uh, some selected psalms this summer. Look at some various psalms. Last week we looked at Psalm 3. By the way, uh, Rebecca Tharp, just to give you an update, uh, many of you have visited her this week, and I've been down a time or two. Her surgery went very, very well. Uh, they ended up only having to fuse the upper portion of her spine, not the lower portion, uh, but pray for her. I was down there yesterday, as were some of you, and, and she's beginning the rehab, and uh, it, is, it was uh, very difficult for, for me to watch that. It's very, very painful for her to sit up, and um, she has to be able to sit up uh, upright for at least 45 minutes because I think on Monday, tomorrow, she goes home, and that's how long the, the ride is. So um, she, she, um, she's got to be able to sit up long enough to get home. So keep praying for her, but praise the Lord, the surgery went very well. They, they feel like she will not have to have a very small opportunity, a very small chance that she would have to have subsequent surgeries and so um, to, to help uh, resolve the, the scoliosis. So Psalm 1, Psalm 1, uh, let me read this and um, we will uh, look at it and, and, and see what God's Word has to say to us today. Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous." For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Lord, help us to understand this psalm and the wisdom that you've intended. Lord, I pray that we could all say of ourselves, if not today, in the coming weeks and months and years, that our delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it we meditate day and night. It's always on our minds. Lord, I pray that the Word of God would be central to all of our lives. That it would be the main instruction for which we base our life. The main source of wisdom for the decisions that we make in our life. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here would make the choice to Make the Word of God central rather than the things of this world central. So, Lord, speak through me as I teach. Help me to not go beyond what the Word of God says, but, Lord, help me to go as far as it goes and say what it actually says, no matter how that convicts, no matter how that may cut, and, Lord, no matter how they may wound us. Ultimately, know it's for our good. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I know in, in uh, many of us, I, I, especially having a daughter, we, we grow up watching a lot of fairy tales. We grow up understanding the, the promise of happily ever after. And, and that promise of happily ever after 
always involved uh, circumstantial things, health and marriage and relationships and material things. There was always the, the, the guy on the white horse, the prince that would ride in and, and save the day and just carry the princess off to blissful happiness. I think my wife is still looking for the guy on that white horse in many regards, unfortunately. She's wondering what happened. But uh, you find the right person, you get to live in the castle, you get health, you get everything is taken care of. You just find the right, hey, you find the right person. You get all the pieces lined up, you get all the stars to line up right. Hey, and that's, happiness just happens. And for those of us who lives in the real world, they understand, we understand that happiness just doesn't work out that way. We understand that we can do everything right and sometimes we don't get the results that we intended. Sometimes things don't work out the way we thought. Sometimes we kiss the frog and he stays a frog. You know, life is like that. The reality is that we live in a world that, look, we can do everything right and not get the results that we desired here on earth. Even as believers, we're not immune to the, to the things of this world that plague us. We prayed last week for many in our family who are sick, who are gravely ill. So how do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of all that we see and go through in life? Is happiness, is happiness ever after a reality? Is, is the blessedness that those hold out for us, is that there? Is there a way that we as believers can be happy even in the midst of all that we battle and go through? And today we're going to look at Psalm 1, and, and I want to try to help us solve this dilemma. I want us to try to see uh, what the Word of God has to say that, so that we can walk, we're able to walk through life, we're able to walk whatever through whatever life throws at us, whatever comes our way, whatever we're faced with, how do we walk through that with a joy? How do we walk through that with a blessedness? How do we walk through that with a happiness? And I'm hesitant to use that word because we think of happiness as just this kind of cheeky grin that we keep about our face. That's not what we're talking about here. It's a deep, settled conviction in who God is. It's a deep-rooted joy that, look, no matter what we face we will not be separated from the love of the Lord. It is a deep-rooted confidence, as Paul said in Romans 8, that we are, we are more than overcomers. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So how do we face life and not let life destroy our joy? And that, that's what the psalmist is getting at. Can we really live happily ever after? And I believe that Psalm 1 tells us not only that we can, but Psalm 1 tells us how we can. First, a little background regarding Psalm 1. Psalm 1 stands as somewhat of an introduction, an introductory psalm to the rest of the psalms. It touches on two truths that you will see. If you read through the psalms, you will see these two truths woven through all of the psalms. And it's this, the blessedness of the righteous and the misery of the wicked. The blessedness of the righteous, the misery of the wicked. 
And what we see here in Psalm 1 summarizes that for us, and then later Psalms will discuss it in greater detail. Psalm 1 teaches us that there are two paths to life. There's only two. There's the righteousness that comes through Christ, the righteousness of God, and and there's the wickedness of the world and of sin. There's righteousness and wicked. And every single person is in one of those two camps. Every single person is walking in one of those two camps. You're either righteous or you're wicked. And we live in a world that would want to create kind of a middle ground that you'd be good. And, and you're, you're morally... In it. No, no, you're either righteous or you're wicked. That's the truth that this psalm puts forth right off the bat. And the key difference, notice, hear me, the key difference between the wicked and the righteous is the centrality of the Word of God. It's the role that the Word of God plays in your life. It is the belief on the truths that that Word contains. John 17, 17, your Word is truth. The difference between the righteous and the wicked, this psalmist tells us, is that it's the role that the Word of God plays in your life. The key difference between these is the place that the Word of God has in your life. That's the difference. The key difference for us today is the role, it's the place of God's Word in our life. Do we believe the Word? Do we know it? Do we trust it? Do we seek to live according to it? That's what the psalmist is getting at. And there are two options. There's two options for all of us. Blessedness or wickedness. You have the world. You have the word. You have the ways of the world. The ways of the word. Two options. Blessedness is a choice. It's choosing to follow this word. It's choosing to obey the word. Wickedness is a choice. It's choosing not to follow the Word. It's choosing to build your life around the principles of the world. That's what we'll see. It's a choice. You don't just fall into these accidentally. Our lives are a fruit of the choices that we make, the the places that we find influence, the people that we hang around, the things that we take into our minds, the things that we let enter into our hearts. Our lives become the fruit of that. And the main choice that we can make is that the Word of God needs to be central. Happiness, what he's saying here is happiness is rooted in the role that God's Word plays in your life. There is a direct, a direct relationship or proportion to the role that God's Word plays in your life and how you face situations and how that affects your happiness. How that affects your blessedness. That is ultimately what we'll see here in Psalm 1. The place that God's Word plays or doesn't play in our lives affects everything about not only our lives, but everything about those who are living around us, our our family, our friends. If we want to be fruitful, the the psalmist tells us, we'll see in verse 3, we've got to have the Word of God be central in our lives. God wants us to be happy, but not on our own, not according to our own ways, not according to our own standards, not according to our own definitions of what happiness is. He's not not out to get us. He's not out to just make life miserable here on earth. He he understands what true happiness is about, where true joy is found, and He tells us that in His Word, and He says, follow me. 
And the things that he puts forth are totally contrary to the things that the world puts forth. The world puts forth, hey, seek it in stuff. Jesus says, no, 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 you give all that stuff away. Don't seek it in stuff. The world says, seek it in a name for yourself. Jesus says, no, 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 you, you humble yourself and I'll give you a name later on. It says, seek it in, in status. He says, no, 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 you give all that stuff. It's opposite. Where will we look for our happiness? God alone gets to determine what true happiness is, how it's found, and where it's found, and He's done that in Psalm 1. And, and, and what He tells us is there is no real, true happiness, joy, whatever you want to say, apart from the Word of God being central in your life. If the Word of God is not central in your life, you better hold on tight. Hold on tight. You're going to be all over the board. If, if we don't know this word, if we don't cling to this word, if we're not deeply rooted and settled that this word is the word of God, that it is the, it is the, the direct word from God to us, we're going to have trouble. Big trouble. And if we don't understand it, and if we can't apply it well, we're going to be in trouble. So, let, so let's jump in. The first, the first thing, talking about happiness, talking about happiness, talking about blessedness, what we see right off the bat is happiness is affected by first by what we choose not to do. By what we choose not to do. The, the Psalms are meant to offer instruction about God and life. And when we read the Psalms, they teach us not only about God, but they teach about life. They teach about how it's to be rightly lived, how it was meant to be lived. And, and there are different types of Psalms. Psalm 1 is a wisdom Psalm. There's also... Um, Psalms that are praise psalms. There's lament psalms. Psalm 1 is a praise psalm. And what we see right off the bat, the psalmist teaches us, your choices matter. My choices matter. There are very few, if any, insignificant choices in life. Very few. Satan would love for us to think that there are a lot of insignificant choices, that the little things don't matter, that these little decisions here and there don't matter. God's Word would say something very different. Our choices matter greatly. And, and our choices oftentimes comprise the sum and the direction of our lives in many regards. And that is why the Bible offers us wisdom to help us guide and make wise choices, God-honoring choices to magnify God and to deny self. Wisdom. And what he tells us right off the bat is some of the best choices is to choose not to do or be around certain things or people. And the issue here with Psalm 1 is not the wicked versus the righteousness. The contrast that Psalm 1 brings to light is between what influences us. It's where are you influenced. It's what has a grip on your life. It's what is driving your life. Where you get, where are you most influenced? That, that's what he's getting at. It's about the issue here is about what influences your life, what influences your decisions, what influences your ways, what influences you to do the things that you do. Are you being influenced by the world and all that it has to supposedly offer? Or are you being influenced by the word? That's what the psalmist is getting at. And ultimately, our true happiness, our true happiness, the way that God desires us to be happy, is at stake. And the psalmist starts out, he says, How blessed 
It literally could read, oh, the blessedness. The, the word there is in a plural form, meaning the blessings here that he's talking about are multiplied. If our English, if you were to put it in, in an everyday Odessa English, it would be how very, 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 very happy is the one who does these things. How very, 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 very happy is the one who doesn't, in this case, Psalm 1, 1, do these things. He's saying the way to blessingness, the way to happiness is right here. God is not against, hear me, God is not against our happiness. We live in a world that, that and many people believe that. Oh, He's just keeping you from happiness. He's keeping you from all the things that are pleasurable. He's keeping you from all these things. God is not against our happiness. The, the issue is where do we find our happiness? God wants to be our happiness because He's the only true source of happiness. The problem is not with the pursuit of happiness. The problem is where we pursue happiness. The problem is where we try to find our happiness. God has a great joy waiting for us. He has, it is not wrong to pursue pleasure. It is not wrong to pursue joy and happiness. It is wrong to pursue them outside the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the problem. And the problem is that we tend to do that. We try to seek that on an earthly, fleshly, temporal level instead of the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, I, even Hebrews 12, 1, Jesus Christ, in dying on the cross, was pursuing joy. For the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross. Joy for Jesus Christ was doing the will of the Father. Joy for Jesus Christ was not doing His own thing. It was found in doing the will of the Father many times throughout the Gospels. Jesus says, I did not come to do my own will. I came to do the will of the Father. If Jesus didn't come to do His own will and joy was found in that, what does that say for us? Joy is found in doing the Father's will. And, and the writer of Psalms immediately tells us three places to avoid seeking our happiness. Three places to avoid. And, and hear me, nobody makes these choices out of duty. We, we make the choices. We've all, if we're honest, we've all fallen prey to what he talks about in verse 1. And why do we make those choices? It's because they appeal to us. It's because there's voids in all of our lives that the things of this world and Satan tries to fill. When left to ourselves, the things of this world try to fill us. They try to occupy us. They try to control us. Ultimately, whatever fills us controls us. And if God's Word is not filling us, if it's not richly dwelling within us, like it says in Colossians 3.16, trust me, if you're not satisfied with God, if you're not satisfied with His Word, if you're not satisfied with, with the things of Christ, you're going to pursue the world, I'm going to pursue the world. Trust me. It's a battle for what fills us. It's a battle for where we will find our satisfaction and our fulfillment. And that's where we get into trouble. It's like the song says, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And we get in trouble. Look with me, turn in your Bibles to, to James 1. I did not give this verse to the tech guys. I, it, I put this in here last night as I was looking over the, the, the sermon. And that's where I get in trouble. I, I start off with about four pages of notes, and then I keep reading it and reading it and reading it, and then it ends up seven pages of notes, and that's why we're here so long. So... Forgive me, but James 1, verse 12, listen, listen to this. 
Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not himself tempt anyone. Listen to this. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You know why we follow the things of the world? is because we want the things of the world. We're not satisfied with the things of God. We want, we don't have. We envy and we don't have. You have it, and I don't have it, and I want it, and we pursue it in wrong ways. That, that's how sin occurs. It, it begins with lust. It begins with a lack of fulfillment, a lack of satisfaction, a lack of contentment. And so you look to other things to fulfill that void and that happiness, even ungodly things. I mean, most of the sin that I battle with in my life and you battle with in your life, most of it is God-given desires that I'm seeking to fulfill in God-forbidden ways. I'm seeking, God has given me that desire and He wants to be the fulfiller of that desire. And in my sinfulness, I'm not satisfied with Him and I go to pursue it in the ways of the world. I lust and I don't have. I'm not content with the fact that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that He's my righteousness, that, that He is guaranteed to provide for me. I'm not content with that. And what we see from the psalmist here is when that happens, there is a twofold thing. There is a regression from God's ways, and there is a progression into Satan's ways. There, there's no neutrality here. You're not on cruise control. You're not in the middle and you're staying there. You're either... I'm either moving towards God or I am moving towards Satan. Bottom line. I'm either progressing in my walk with the Lord and satisfaction in His ways or I'm progressing in my, I'm getting settled in the ways of this world. They're happening, they're happening simultaneously and gradually. We're either growing more like God or we're growing less like God. There's no neutrality. If we're not, if we're not wise, little by little we deny God and we get tangled up in the things of this world, and before we know it, we're in lifestyles, and we're in making choices and decisions, and we're, we never would have imagined, how did we get here, little by little? How did I find myself here? Gradually. Gradually. And, and that's what the psalmist is telling us. And, and blessedness, happiness, not only comes from what we do, but what we avoid. And look what he says. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Where happiness starts. Happiness starts in the choice not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. And literally there is a progression here. You see it. So, so it's, it's daunt, what he's saying is you're not even pausing to consider the ways of the wicked. You're continually to move after God. Your eyes are fixed. Just like Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we, when we start dabbling, when we start even looking at sin and even momentarily contemplating it, if we're not careful, we're going to get in trouble. And he says it moves on to, to not only a glance in a sense, but he says it's also the choice not to stand in the path of the sinners. See, you're walking along, you pass by it, now you've kind of stopped. You've contemplated enough, now you've stopped. Now, you, now you've paused and you've kind of 
parked yourself momentarily in, in the path of sinners. And then, and then if you're not careful, if you, if you don't correct, if you don't by God's grace repent of that, the choice then needs to be made that you don't sit in the seat of scoffers. At this point, not only are you contemplating it, now you've, you've, you've acted like it, but now scoffers, they completely den deny. They've thrown caution to the wind. There's a progression. It, it started with just a glance. Then it turned into a consideration. And now it's a settled mindset. Now, now it's a, you, don't, you no longer see right and wrong the way that God sees it. You, you see it the way the world sees it. And you see this same progression in Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. Look at me in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. It'll come up on the board. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within, because of the hardness of heart. And they having, what does it say? Become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness. Calloused. Become calloused. You become more and more settled in the ways of the world. You take on more and more of the world. When, and you become, ultimately, you become a scoffer. You become opposed to God. Opposed to Him. Starts with a glance. You don't check that glance. You start to entertain it. You think about it. You start going over the scenario in your mind. Before you know it, you're headlong into it. And there are so many illustrations of this. And we can, in our minds, you can think of these. It just started with a glance that you didn't deal with, man. I talked to a guy. How'd that affair happen? It started with a glance. And then that glance gradually got longer and longer. And you went over it in your mind. You've already played it out in your mind, and now the opportunity is there, and you go headlong into it. It didn't just happen. You didn't just wake up that morning and make a decision to do it. You've made decisions all along the way for a long period of time to do that. And that's the way Satan is. It's kind of, I've said it before, it's lying like your windshield. You never know, you never realize how dirty your windshield is until you clean it. And then you realize there's a whole world out there that you didn't even know existed. You're surprised you didn't hit somebody as dirty as your windshield was. But it, it happens so gradually, time, day after day after day, a little bit of layer gets over, just lays on your windshield, and before you know it, it's the same way here. And, and it's a progression towards denying God. There, there is no neutrality here. That's what the psalmist is saying. There's no neutrality with regards to our attention and our devotion, and the effect that it has on you. The things that we give our attention to, the things that we give our time to, they are affecting us. You don't watch the shows we watch, the things we read, the things we listen to. Trust me, they affect us. They affect us. There's no neutrality. We don't just sit there and watch these shows and listen to the stuff and then think, oh, it, it doesn't bother me. It, it affects us. It does. You're, you're either moving closer to God or you're moving away from God. 
And the psalmist is telling us that. Jesus himself said in 1230 of Matthew, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me, gather with me scatters. There's no neutrality. You're either for me or against me. And be warned. I want us to be warned by these verses. Little by little by little, we can fall in the place where we forfeit God's blessing. Little by little. Little decision by little decision by little decision, we find ourselves miles away from where God would desire us to be. Little by little. Happiness comes from, first of all, sometimes what we choose not to do. But happiness also comes from what we choose to do. Happiness comes also from what we, blessedness comes from what we choose to do. And as I said, nobody, nobody falls into the trap of verse 1 on accident. We fall prey to that because we lack satisfaction in God. We lack satisfaction in God. We, we're void in areas that God wants to fill and satisfy. And we see it in, in verse 2. Why? Why did this man not walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the path of sinners and sit and see the scoffers? Why? Because his delight was in the law of the Lord. He was satisfied in God. He was satisfied in the Word. It was delight. Again, God is not against our pleasures. He wants us to find our pleasures fulfilled in Him. And the only hope against falling prey to the world is by delighting in this Word. It's by delighting in this Word. It's not tipping your hat. It's not a minute here, a minute there. It's by delighting in this Word. It's by Colossians 3.16. It's by the Word of God richly dwelling within us. And, and when we delight in this world, the things of the world grow strangely dim. They don't have the appeal to us that they once had. Why? Because we're full. We're satisfied. And listen to me. Verse 2 is the central idea, the central truth, of the central focus of this whole psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. The focus of this psalm is on delighting in the Word of God. That's the focus. Delighting in the Word of God. And, and so, what, what must we do in order to be blessed? The first thing is choose to delight in the God's Word. Choose to delight. The word delight here, it means mindful of, it means attentive to. It means to keep or protect. It's exactly what we did last week with VBS with the kids. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that you have, but do it with generous and respect. It means delighting in it. It means to protect it. The word delight here means to feel great favor towards. When something delights us, we become preoccupied with it. We protect it. It's like a boy who meets a girl. He meets a girl that he likes, guess what? He becomes preoccupied with that girl. It happens. It's natural. We become preoccupied with that which we delight in. You know, and, and again, the progression flows. When we delight in something, we think about it, we want to be with it, we give all our attention to it. That's what the psalmist is saying. Keep your eyes, folks, on God's Word. Keep God's Word richly dwelling in you. Delight in God's Word. If you want to be blessed, Delight in God's Word. Secondly, he says, choose to meditate on God's Word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Instead of finding pleasure and happiness in the things of the world, 
The blessed person is satisfied and mindful of the Word of God. The word meditate there, it literally means to be captured by the Word of God. Captivated by the Word of God. Day and night you think about it. Look, look, at, look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. Great, great passage. 2 Corinthians 10.5. Paul writes, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought in our lives, every desire, all of those things are filtered through the Word of God. Every thought. Why? Because decisions matter. And, and we find our place, ourselves in places we don't want to go. Why? Because little decisions, little decisions, little decisions, and then they gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we find ourselves in places we don't want. The, the word meditate here, it literally points to a comprehensive desire to study and to build your entire life, to build your entire life around the word. That's what the word meditate there means. You know, you go back to the boy meets girl and, and that illustration. How many times have you heard someone say, I don't know what got into him. I know what got into him. The light got into him. And he builds his whole life. He's a new person. Why? Because he's found something to delight in. And he's found something he delights in. God's word, he says, our God's word must be our delight. It must be our delight. If it's not, if you sit there and you say, well, Chris, it would, I would tell you if I was honest, it's not your delight. You're in good company. The Psalms are full of, full of times that struggled. Ask God. If you would sit here today and say, you know what, I don't delight in God's Word. Ask God to create in you a delight for His Word. I would challenge you to start reading the Word. I, Bradley um, uh, is going through a 90-day uh, devotional journal uh, this summer. And, and uh, at the beginning, it was very difficult, I will admit it, it was very difficult to get my son to every day when he gets up, before he goes to the iPad, before he goes and watches TV, before he does all these other things, to spend time in God's Word in these devotions. And, and it was interesting, just Thursday I asked Bradley, I said, Bradley, you know, I'll ask him, hey, how was your devotions? What would you talk about? And I mean, what you, would you study? And, and he said, his words, he said, Dad, it's interesting. He says, it was difficult at first, he says, but now I really enjoy it. The only way that happened was by him doing it. He did not want as, as hard as... But guess what? He has a dad that sometimes doesn't want to dig in. I struggle with that. I struggle with that at times. Life is busy. You know, planning to spend time in God's Word. But, but over time, through doing it, it has become a delight. I have some, some friends who, who are married. They'll tell you that they hated each other's guts growing up as kids. Hated their guts. And now they're married. Why? They, it just changed over time. They, they, their lives constantly were intersecting. constantly, And now they're married. I think they love each other. But over time. Ask God. If you stand here today and say, I don't delight in your word, Lord... Ask Him, create in me a delight for Your Word. And start reading the Word. Start reading it. Over time, if you read it and read it seriously, you will begin to delight 
in His Word. It's good. Jeremiah himself says, Your words became food, and I ate them. Matthew 4, 4, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Some of us, the reason why we're, our lives are the way they are and, and is because we don't, we're, we're starved of the Word of God. Just like we see here, it's like a tree who never gets water. That tree is going to be weak and unfruitful. And our fruitfulness starts with taking in huge quantities of God's Word. You literally, literally, we're cultivating an appetite. What I'm trying to do with my children and what we're trying to do here as a church with your boys and girls is cultivate an appetite for the Word. And what I was trying to tell Bradley is, Bradley, if you wait until you're a teenager, if you wait till you're my age, it's going to be even harder to cultivate an appetite for God's Word. It's not, you don't just wait till you're older and then all of a sudden I fall. Cultivate an appetite. Why? Because blessing comes from a study of, of the Word. Blessing comes from growing in the Lord through a study of His Word. Nothing else will do. There's no substitute. The Word of God is the lamp to our feet. The Word of God is a light to our path. The Word of God is where we learn about the things of the Lord. The Word of God is, the, is the, what we hide in our heart that we might not sin against, against God. The Word of God is what washes us. It's what cleanses us. The Word of God strengthens us. It convicts us. It encourages us. It equips us. The Word of God does that. We're void of that if we don't have the Word of God in our hearts. And what Psalm 1 tells us is the difference between the righteous and the wicked the difference between the fruitful and the unfruitful is the place that the Word of God plays or has in your life. Period. And we have an inheritance in Christ that is secure. We have a place with Christ that is secure as believers. But the degree to which we enjoy those blessings, the degree to which we enjoy that relationship, is attached to our commitment to God's Word. The degree to which we enjoy that relationship with Christ is the degree to which we're attached and filled with God's Word. Our capacity to appreciate the Lord, our capacity for happiness and in this life is directly proportional to our knowledge and our application of God's Word. It's directly proportional. We have to be in God's Word. We have to be reading and studying it. And, and this isn't some formula it's not something where I do this and God does this all the time. It's not some legalistic formula. It's not some obedience to a set of rules or principles. What the psalmist isn't saying is that, hey, if, if I love the Word, if I delight in it, if I meditate day and night, that everything's just going to be a bliss. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is when problems come your way, you'll be able to walk through them in a sturdy fashion. You will walk through them unmoved. It's not that you won't go through problems, it's that you'll go through problems differently. That, that's what the psalmist is saying. We're going to face the same things, but how we face them will be differently when we're strengthened by the Word of God. Make God's Word central, he's saying, and you will be blessed. And next he says the consequences. He, he gives us some consequences of choosing the wrong things, Choosing the world or choosing the word. And first, he gives us the consequences of choosing the word. The consequences of seeking counsel in the word. What will be the, the result? 
And it's interesting, the word planted there, it literally means transplanted. This is a tree who has been taken from one environment and has been planted right where he needs to be, has been planted by a stream of water. It's transplanted. That is exactly, hear me, that is exactly what God has done for us in salvation. He took us out of the realm of, of sin and death in Adam and has placed us in Christ. We've been transplanted. And just like the gentleman here in Psalm 1 gave that tree exactly what it needed to thrive, God Himself has given us exactly what we need to thrive, and it's the Word of God. He's given us the Word of God. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. There's stability. You ground yourself in the Word of God. You seek counsel in the Word of God. You delight and meditate in the Word of God. There will be stability. Just like a tree in solid soil. You can take a big oak tree. You plant it in mushy soil, sandy soil. It's going to topple over. You plant it in good soil, and it stands the test of time. And a tree, it'll grow deep roots. It'll be sturdy. The, the winds will come. The storms of life will come. And that tree will be there. And that's what he's saying. The, the man or the woman who plants themselves in the Word of God will be stable. Look, look at Matthew 7. Look with me at Matthew 7. Verses 24 through 27. It'll come up on the screens there. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall. It's stable. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Look at Ephesians 4. You look at Ephesians 4, and he talks about the, the purpose of the church. You start in, in, around in verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs the fullness of Christ. Listen, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind and wave and trickery of darkness, by the trickery of men, the craftiness and deceitful scheming. What's he saying? You'll be stable. You grow up in the Word of God, you'll be stable. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says the same thing. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Stability. The Word of God provides stability. That's why we stick to the Word of God here. We want to be stable. But not only that, the Word of God provides nourishment. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. The streams of water do for this tree exactly what the Bible does for us. Nourishes us. You look at Matthew 15, 13. He says that we've been planted. That we're the plants. We need watering. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. We need to be nourished. We have been set. God has given us an ever-flowing stream of living water. And he says, hey, plant yourself here. Fill up on this. 
No matter what comes your way, I'll walk through it. You'll walk through it and you'll have the promises. You'll have my promises to guarantee we're going to get through this. Even, even though they may slay you, he says, I won't depart. There's promises and nourishment. Look, look at me at Habakkuk 3, verses 17 and 18. We have, this, we have these verses uh, on a, on a, painted on a picture right by where we eat breakfast and, and dinner. He says, because I, I want this to be true for my life, for my children, for my wife. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fall and should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Do you have that trust in the Lord? That, that though everything about life, though everything about life doesn't make sense, you still exalt in the Lord? You still trust in the Lord? It only comes from a relationship through this word. It only comes from having God's word hidden in your heart, but not only stability and nourishment, but fruitfulness, which yields its fruit in its season. The only way we're going to show off the Father's character is having the Father's Word in us. And just like a tree that's not nourished, that's not by streams, will not produce fruit, we will not produce fruit apart from the study of God's Word, apart from a rich study of God's Word, of being controlled by the Spirit that is in us. God's word helps us to be fruitful. But then prosperity. And whatever he does, he prospers. And again, we'll get real sideways here in, in what it means to prosper. And, and what he doesn't mean is that everything will go great. What it does mean, what he's saying here, that word prosper means this. You will accomplish what you were intended to accomplish. That Listen to this. Notice here in verse 3. What did the tree prosper as? A tree. The tree prospered at being a tree. Christianity, prosperity in Christianity is you prospering at being a Christian. It's not prospering at material things. The tree didn't prosper over here doing something else. The tree prospered at doing exactly what the tree was designed and created and meant to do. Prosperity as a believer is walking through everything that we face at life, and giving God the glory in spite of what we walk at, walk through. That's prosperity. It's prospering at being a Christian. It's prospering at making much of God. It's prospering at glorifying God. That's where prosperity is. Mark 8, 36 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It makes no difference. Prosperity here is doing what we were meant to do as believers, and that is glorify our Father and, and share the gospel. Bring others into the fold. That's what it means. Prosperity here, as attached to believers, is, is making much of Christ. It's more spiritual than it is material. And not only that, prosperity here, you can look at verses 4, 5, and 6... True prosperity here, the psalmist is saying, is that you're going to be able to stand in the judgment. That's ultimate prosperity. When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords returns and He judges the wheat and the chaff and the wheat and the tares and the righteous and the wicked, when He judges, He says the, the, the righteous will stand. That's prosperity. 
when, I'm, when, when the Lord comes back and judges us for our sin, I will stand in that judgment. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to my door life. That's prosperity. He says the wicked are not so. Verse 4, they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. He's saying cultivate deep roots in the word of God and you will stand just like that tree stands. And our roots, they're not automatic. We must delight, we must meditate in the Word of God. We must fill ourselves with the Word of God. And we will grow deep roots. That though the winds come, though the floods come, though the, though the, the droughts may come, we have deep roots that, that know where the water is. And the battle, hear me, the battle is for our affections. The battle is over what we delight in. And whatever we choose to delight in, that is what we will be like. That is what we will be like. Whatever we think about, most often, that is what we will chase after. And that's why the psalmist is saying, delight in the Lord. Meditate in the Lord. There are consequences, good consequences of choosing the word. But there are consequences if you choose to seek the counsel of the world. Look what he says. Everything is completely opposite to the man or the woman who chooses the word. Instability. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Instability. You want, some of the reason why we're all over the board and our emotions are all, and we're, in, we're unstable. We need more of God's Word. Malnourishment. Some of us, if we're honest, we're Christians, but we're starved. We're starved. We're malnourished. If if we physically ate the way that we spiritually eat of the Word of God, we would be in bad shape. And we're all right going days and weeks just snacking, if at all, on God's Word. We're malnourished. That's malnourishment. And it results in unfruitfulness. Unfruitfulness. There's no fruit in chaff. Chaff is dead. Chaff just blows wherever the wind takes you. It's exactly what we saw in Ephesians 4. And then ultimately it's judgment. Judgment. Look with me at James 1 real quick and and we're going to close here. James James 1 verses 5 through 8. He says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generations generously without reproach. And it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For with that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, but being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. We We cannot try to have it both ways, the best of both worlds, and expect to be stable. We we need to choose to make the choice to be grounded in the Word of God. Otherwise, we're going to be wishy-washy and we're going to be blown all over the place. And God's Word creates stability, it creates nourishment, it creates fruitfulness. You think about an oak tree. The birds of the air, other animals come find refuge in it, it provides shade. I want us to be those people. I want us to be Christians that the world runs to, to find stability and shade and nourishment and fruitfulness. And when they ask why, we point them to Jesus Christ. We point them to the Word. 
And there is a judgment coming, and only the righteous, only those who have trusted in Jesus Christ are going to prosper. The only those are going to stand. Those who have trusted in the ways of this world or trusted anything other than Jesus Christ will not stand in that judgment. We are going to all give an account for our sinfulness. And if Jesus Christ's blood has not been applied to your account to pay for your sins, you will not stand that judgment. There'll be no redos, no mulligans, no second choices. It's, it's, it's Jesus Christ or, or eternal condemnation. Period. And it boils down to the truths, the centrality of this word. Do you believe them? And God is rewarder of those who trust Him, and He is the judger, or the judge. I don't is judger a word? I don't think that's a word. He is the judge of those. I was not an English major, obviously. I was a rec major, so you get what you get. The judge of those who reject Him. He's the judge. Which will you choose? So the application, y'all are laughing back there, saying something y'all shouldn't say. I hear that. That was a delayed laugh. Somebody said something. Application, real quick. Application. Very simple. Guard your mind. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your mind, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your mind. Be careful of what you allow you enter your mind. How do things enter your mind? Through your eyes? Through your ears? Be careful. Be careful what you cast your eyes upon, what you cast your gaze upon. Because if you're not careful before you know it, you're going to be pausing, standing around it. Then before you know it, you're going to be headlong involved in it. It all started with a glance. Be careful. Guard your mind. Secondly, I would say guard your friends. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good morals. Guard your friends. Sounds, sounds simple enough, but it's hard. And I'm right there with you. Guard your mind. Guard your friends. Students, be careful who you look up to. Students, be careful who you envy. Be careful who you follow, because if you're not careful, your life is going to follow them, and their end may be destruction. You be that lamp. Adults at work, be careful. Be careful the conversations you get brought into. Be careful what you're known for. Guard your mind. Guard your friends. I pray that we would begin today taking God's word seriously.